Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. A comedian, actor, and writer, Jim Jeffries has established himself as one of the most respected comics of his generation, with a controversial and belief-challenging stand-up style that continues to surprise and entertain audiences around the globe. He recently wrapped an international stand-up tour, The Unusual Punishment Tour, to rave reviews which came on the heels of releasing his second Netflix special, Freedom, in the summer of 2016. Jeffries burst onto the U.S. comedy scene in 2009 with his popular HBO special, I Swear to God, the first of seven specials, including his debut Netflix hour, Jim Jeffries' Bear, which garnered attention for an iconic set focused on guns and gun control in the United States. Jeffries previously starred as himself in the FX series Legit, and he's now starring in his own weekly news talk show, The Jim Jeffries Show on Comedy Central. I caught up with him the morning after his series premiere, so let's get to it! So, Jim Jeffries, I'm, Hi. I'm catching you the morning after your premiere. Yeah, yeah. The Jim Jeffries show we're, on we're, Comedy we're, Central. We've got a couple of Red Bulls. It's 11 o'clock in the morning, and we're, we're back. We're about to start writing the second episode now, so back to work. How does the first day after this show premiered compare to the first day after Legit premiered? Um, well, yeah, it... There's not as much celebration because I've got to get back to work right away. After the first day of Legit premiered, I had another 12 episodes that were already recorded and I could just sit back and watch them all being released each week. You know, they'd all been made. Um, but, like, uh, I enjoyed myself last night, and uh, but I woke up this morning very aware that I have to do it all over again this week. So <laughs> I'm sure I'll get into a, a, a rhythm. Um, and we, we, we sort of plan <clears throat> a few episodes ahead what we're going to do for our third acts like our deep dive piece but because uh, you do field pieces you go our field, uh, you the, go, the field piece for next week is uh, next Tuesday is already filmed and um, what we're going to do for our deep dive piece we've got uh, two or three options and then um, act one will be more current and we won't even attempt to write that until about Friday okay yeah. how important is it for you to tape the day of as a weekly show well that we have to you know so like like even when I say Friday that's being optimistic that the first act will be right because something might happen over the weekend or on mm-hmm. Monday but I don't know if I'm too keen on uh, doing anything that happens Tuesday morning in the news unless it's really big <laughs> <laughs> because cause we have to tape early because we're I think well us and Bill Maher are the only uh, West Coast comedy news based shows everything else is in New York so they get an extra few hours leeway right well, a lot of times things are happening when they're taping. Yes, I was on the Daily Show and the, I, I did a correspondence spot last week, and and I was there the about two hours before we recorded the show. The Paris Agreement, you know, Trump dropped out of the Paris Agreement, so they had to do a whole rewrite, and the show started an hour later. So yeah, I guess these things are, are very time sensitive. Although that worked out for you because you got to find a meteorologist a guest weatherman oh i do i have a well he's, he's just a normal weatherman we found uh, the best weatherman we could find and uh he did a wonderful job and he'll be appearing in future episodes oh wow okay so it's not a uh, rotating guest no 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 that's our weatherman <laughs> nice yeah um, how did you how did you convince the Ray? weatherman yeah 
I don't know who, who Brad is, but the weatherman is. Um, <laughs> He's uh, he, he's a, just a guy I met, and yeah. uh, he he liked my comedy. It turned out he was the world's leading meteorologist, and oh, so really? he, he offered to do the show. And mm-hmm. that's, that's what happened there. <laughs> All right, I'll I'll let you get away with that. Um, <laughs> you, you can say you think it is. I I just know him as the weatherman. I've never right. I've never heard his name. Now, you know you you made sure pretty clearly in the premiere not to. Not to name him, in the, other than in, the Jim Jeffrey show Weatherman. In the credits, if you watch the credits, it, just, it, it says Weatherman as himself. <laughs> yeah, I did notice that. I don't know. I don't know if we, I don't know if we're doing anything wrong uh, with SAG or AFTRA there. Like we could be sued. Like that might be super ununion, you know, work that we're doing there. But uh, well, well, people so, have uncredited cameos. I, I yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah. 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 Well, let's get back to you because your name is in the show. Mm-hmm. Was when you were in Australia as a young whippersnapper, yeah. rapscallion to be, yeah. was a talk show in your plans ever? <clears throat> well, we didn't really, I didn't really, um, I wasn't brought up on talk shows. I didn't get Carson or Letterman or, or, or The Tonight Show or any, any of those type of shows were never in Australia because um, when I was a kid, you know, everything was still on film and, and I never even got like Saturday Night Live. I, just, I, I always just thought of those people, Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd, they're just as movie stars. You know, I never knew what the preamble... Even watching, like, Wayne's World, I never knew that that was a sketch before it was a thing because it just, it just didn't happen that way. You know, mm-hmm. we used to get all movies three months later and so you couldn't have a time-sensitive talk show airing in Australia back then because the canisters would have to be flown over and, you know, you'd have to get it there the next day and it just wasn't worth doing, you know. Um, but now, like, my, my show, I think, is airing in Australia, like, right now. Like, oh. This, right now, like, it's just getting its Australian thing. So, so uh, yeah, like, in Australia now, you, you, you can watch uh, Fallon and you, the, the, the Daily Show's on mm-hmm. over there and John Oliver's on over there and all that type of stuff. But growing up, uh, I didn't really, that wasn't really in my view. I, I didn't really know about tonight shows we tried doing australian versions of them but we just didn't have enough celebrities to have guests <laughs> because people but, but, people weren't coming down under to but there were political shows there mm-hmm. were political news shows which is you know what i'm doing that right but, but they were they were also right you don't have a traditional talk show it's more of a just no but they did political talk mm-hmm. shows but they were just about australian politics we never really i never remember hearing someone joking about reagan when i was a kid or or, or, or George Bush Senior. I never hear, remember that because CNN wasn't a thing either in Australia. We didn't have this constant news cycle. But now it's like the world is so connected in every way. You could do this show out of Sydney and it would still be as relatable to Americans as it is over there or whatever. I, yeah, Like a lot of people have sort of... One of the things we did with the, the stage... We made sure that it was sort of dark and woody and all that type of stuff because I wanted the people to not think it's out of L.A. Because as soon as people think it's out of L.A., then they start thinking, oh, it's going to be a celebrity show. As right. soon as you put a fucking palm tree up on the set. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like all right. these shows move over from New York. Like when Conan moved over, when Jay Leno had palm trees and shit in right. the background. And then when it shifts over to New York, it becomes old and woody. And all that type of, There's no... Re- you, you, you're both fucking indoors. You know what I mean? These right. are just made sets. You can make it look like fucking Paris if you want to, but people have this certain idea and design. So Right, a lot of those shows have the, also have like a city skyline behind them. Yes, yeah. We did the we, we did the standard map of the world, like we're talking about the world, you mm-hmm. know, like 
you know, we've got screens everywhere that play different things, all that type of stuff. And, you know, you've got the, tip, the typical, like, the photo over your shoulder that does all the visuals of everything. And, and I can't see any of that. I just know from rehearsal where it is. And it's that weird thing where you're looking at a box that's meant to be there. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I'll get better at it. I think, I think um, uh, just reading online what people liked about the show, um, it, 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 probably the things that I didn't even really know I was doing. You know, I, I I didn't know that I was leaning back in my chair so much. Yeah, and people were like stunned by that. Like, oh, I'm just so revolutionary—a guy who leans back in his chair. <laughs> I'm like, I was just doing it. I was trying to be as comfortable as possible. You know? No, I I loved it yeah, personally. Thank you. Um, well, how long did it take you with legit to get the hang of acting? Of acting. Um, I was proper being, acting. I was being myself, right. and, and lucky for me and legit, I was surrounded by people who could act. So that was a big thing for me. Actually, working with people who knew what Dan they Bacadol were, yeah, knew, knew what they were doing. You know, like Dan Bacadol coming from Second City and all that type of stuff, and then he was a correspondent on the Daily Show. And now you know he's Veep, and now he's on Life in Pieces and stuff like that. Yeah. Like that guy, if you want to improv with a fella, that's your guy. And Dan, DJ Qualls is, could be a great dramatic actor, and he's still mostly in comedies. You know? So, work, and like Mindy Sterling was in that show. Who she's, she's in a, the Groundlings. She's in Groundlings. Yeah. Most people know her as uh, Doctor Evil's wife in the Austin Powers movies. Right. Uh, Dan, uh, John Ratzenberg, who was Cliff Clavin from Cheers. It was just a really sort of it was it was all seasoned professionals, and me. You know, so I couldn't really look that bad because I, I was writing my own scripts, so they were definitely in my voice. I think half the problem with acting is, like, I've done some auditions where I go in and I'm do- I had to do one, uh, it was for True Detective. Right? Season one or season two? Season two. True, okay. True Detective, season two. And they had a coroner that had to walk around a dead body and mm-hmm. it was like, there's lacerations to the bone and the da-da-da-da-da and the whatever. And it may have been the worst audition I ever did <laughs> because I didn't know what I was saying and it, mm-hmm. the rhythm was so far removed from how I would talk that it just seemed ridiculous. You know? So when you're writing your own scripts, it's a lot easier. And even with this new show, like the writers will submit me a piece or I, I, what we do now is... Um, I go in and say what I want to talk about and I say the, the through line and then where I want it to start and where I want it to end and then they'll go off and write me a script and then I'll bring it down to my office here and I'll do a quick rewrite and then or give my notes and then they'll have another go and then I sit with my assistant and she types and I, I just um, I say I, I say it in my own voice because you know just the phrasing that I want. So it comes out a lot more natural if you're very hands-on with the thing. Otherwise, it'll never look right. Well, that's what I noticed with last night's with the premiere, was that it felt unlike most of these weekly or nightly shows, yeah. where the the talk show host is delivering a monologue or a, mm. or a rant or what what have you. Yeah. Is that yours really felt natural to you as a stand-up? As if you were yeah. a stand-up, but you were just happened to be sitting behind a desk. Yeah, I wanted it to feel like everyone liked... I had a gun control routine that everyone liked, and I feel like my skill in, in life is... Uh, from Bear. Yeah, from Bear. I feel like one of my skills in life is I'm very good at dumbing down extremely complex subjects. Like simplifying, not like making them stupid, but just like saying right. it plain and simple, you know? Um, 
And so whenever something gets a bit too wordy in the scripts for this show, I'm like, nah, take out that word, that word. I want to get from point A to point B as quick as possible with as much information as I can. When I first met you back in 2008, you were still just one of those, you seem to me to be a typical stand-up comedian, especially the, the ones who come from Australia. Right. They go to the UK first yeah. because that seems like an easier adjustment. Well, And then from the UK to America... Well, what it is is in the UK, and and this is why Australian and Canadian comedians do this, and American comics do. From the age of, um, up until the age of twenty-seven, from I think it's from twenty or eighteen to twenty-seven, it might have changed. Mm-hmm. And it's only one year now, but back then, everyone from eighteen to twenty-seven can go over to the UK and get a two-year work visa, and it's reciprocal. They can come to Australia and have a two-year work That's visa. The- Privileges of the Commonwealth. Of the Commonwealth, yes. Yeah. So there's always so so there's there's a shit ton of Canadian comics in the UK mm-hmm. as well. Now you can't come to America and do that. You can't just get a work visa and come over. It, it's not how it works. So there's no work for stand-up comedy comics in Australia. There's just there's, in my opinion, there's more people who want to do it than want to watch it. <laughs> and you know what I mean, which is always a tricky one, right? <laughs> and uh, and there's like one comedy club in Sydney, two maybe in Melbourne, right. and you know, and there, there's just not enough work for everybody. Right. There's a big festival in Melbourne, but yeah, once a mu- one month once, a year, yeah. you're killing it, you yeah. know. But apart from that, it's there's just not enough work now. London's got more comedy clubs than any other city on earth, and so for me, it just also I was at that age, I was twenty four. And I wanted, or maybe 23, and I wanted to travel. I hadn't, I hadn't been anywhere. Actually, I can tell you the day I went to England. Um, so okay, we'll have to do the math on this. But anyway, I'm 40 now, but I left on September 12th, 2001. Was that when 9 <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I left the day after 9-11. You were able to get a flight because it wasn't going to America. Yeah. Well, I know this because I was packing my bags and I'd never been on a big plane before. Like, this is the, the level of... And my big adventure was going to start. And I was all excited. Mm-hmm. And I was going to go over and I was going to take on the world. And, you know, 23 or 24, whatever I was, you're excited. Like, all right, this is all going to happen. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, it was about 10 p.m. or 9 p.m. in Australia when that happened. My parent, I was staying with my parents' house because I'd given up the apartment I was in because I was about to move. And for the last month, I was staying at my, with my, fa- my folks, you know. And, and I, I, I packed up my bag. I was all excited. And then I, I just was watching the, the, the TV changed. And I went into my parents and I went, I don't think I'm leaving tomorrow. I don't think planes are going to... And they said, oh, we'll, we'll check it out in the morning. And my mm. parents went straight back to sleep, thinking that I was being hysterical, thinking, oh, he's exaggerating something, you know what I mean? <laughs> And, uh, yeah, no, you could still fly there. You just couldn't fly to America. But, uh, yeah, I remember being very stressed out that day thinking. But also, it was, that was like a sort of pivotal moment in my life, as it was for many people around the world, where where even like my stand-up went from me just saying, you know, one-night stand jokes to having opinions and, you know. Wanting to say something. Wanting to say something, yeah. Even if, even if you might have someone come up on stage and... Well, it's if you if you read online, like 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 you know, a lot of people hate me now. They call me a liberal, this, that, and the other, and you know, it's weird because I, I got so much backlash for being anti-gun, and now sort of bagging on Trump a little, and and it's like oh, I used to like him; he's funny, but I used to 
I used to bag on religion for years and no one really said anything or got angry. The religious people just went, oh, well, he's not for me and they didn't follow me. But right. like political people go, well, how dare he? I, I, I tell you what, over the years, I've gotten a lot more respect for religious folk than I thought I ever would. I used to think they were just a bunch of idiots. Now I think at least they're idiots who... Uh, Didn't you talk about that a little bit in Freedom? Yeah, they sort of leave you alone. Yeah. And you know, it's like... You know, you don't. I don't agree with you. You don't agree with me. But when it comes to politics, no, nah, you don't agree with me. You're an asshole. Well, let's back up just a second because you talked about the logistics of it was easier to go to Britain because of the Commonwealth. Yeah. So logistically, what did you have to do to make the move to America? Well, what happened was I went to Montreal and I did the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival. And what happened was I'd been there one year before that and I did um, the Dirty Show. Now, the problem with the Dirty Show is that the, the festival runs for two weeks. And one week is a French week, French-speaking week, and one week is an English-speaking week. Uh, but the Dirty Show is the most popular show by a country mile. Sells more tickets than any other show. And they, I think they put on 17 performances or something. In Wait, the it's the one show in uh, Just for Laughs that goes for like the entire length of the festival well, it almost. might it might now but back then yeah. it, they put that on during the french week right because um because what happened there was uh they needed that space for the rest of the week and the only way they could fill it is so it's just like you and three or like three other comics and you're the only english-speaking comics in town for that week and then as you're getting to the airport you see all the other people <laughs> arriving on the way home and then like all the media and you hear all these people getting TV deals and stuff and you think what the fuck was I doing that week like no one noticed me nothing happened you know? right the industry only shows up for the last four the, days the only the industry only shows up to see who was hot and who did whatever and you're already fucking gone you know so then what happened was that the next year or two years later I got invited back to do the nasty show and they did like a, a, a like it was like a 25 year anniversary or whatever mm -hmm. the fuck it was and and the, and the lineup was me, David Tell, Louis C.K., I think Patrice O'Neill, and um, you know, I can't remember who was hosting. But anyway, so so it was like this king hit a show, and I thought I'm still not going to get fucking noticed. And Bruce Hills, who I would consider a friend, he 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 has done so much for my career and helped me out so much over the years. Like, um, who 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 runs just for laughs, um. I said to him, I said, oh, look, can I, you know, and they, they didn't do solo shows back then. I said, can I just do like my Edinburgh show just in a pub for the next week just so I can hang out, you know? And then like, he's like, yeah, we were thinking of doing that. And I think it was me and like two other acts and I couldn't tell you who they are. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time people went to Montreal and did their solo shows. So I went and did this solo show. So I just played to however many thousands of people doing the nasty show where no one saw me. And then they put me in this bar that I think sat maybe 80 people. And I was one of three shows that had a solo show every night for the last week, seven performances. And something caught on. All the industry came to this thing like it was like, it was unique that someone's going to do an hour of stand-up. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, which is not unique anyway, but it was like this, have you seen this guy doing an hour? Right? <laughs> and, uh, and so everyone, everyone showed up. And then I think sort of halfway through it, and I'd still not been to America. Um, and I think halfway through it, uh, at that stage, CIA offered to be my agents. And, uh, and I, w I literally said, oh, all right, well, no one else has offered. You know, I didn't know what CIA was or anything like that. Right. And then um, 
I think within like three weeks, they they were bringing me out every couple of months to do just 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there, like around LA. It was really weird. And I, and I had like this career in Britain. I was, I'd gotten out of the clubs and moved into theatres and, and I was coming out here to do showcases in front of 20 people in a Comedy Central area spot. And right. I was taking meetings all the time and none of these meetings became anything. And then um, I, I got... Um, and so that was just a work visa. It was like a three-month work visa that they got me, CA. And then what happened after that was I, uh, I was on the Opie and Anthony show. I, 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 they got me a, a spot supporting Dennis Leary in New York. So my first gig in New York was at the Beacon Theatre. Right? So That's a good gig. Pretty, pretty good first gig. Yeah. Right? And um, so and after that, I met, I met Opie from the Opie and Anthony show. And he said, oh, i got a radio show. and You should come in in the morning. And I was like... Nah, man. I was like, I was like this, this is my only night ever in New York. I've never been to New York in my life. And I said, I'm going to get fucked up. And I've just performed in front of 3,000 people. I'm going to party. Just finished my job. And my, my agents went, you're going on the radio in the morning. I was like, Ugh. Did you and, know it was national? That they had a national I didn't phone. know it was such a big radio show. At that stage, I think it was the second biggest radio show in the world. You know, it was like Howard Stern. And, right. and so I was like, uh, and so I... I trudged my way into this radio show. And uh, then I met Jim Norton. And then uh, Jim Norton at that stage had a show uh, called Down and Dirty with Jim Norton on HBO. On HBO, right. And so I got, because Jim had met me and had seen me at this thing. And then when I was pitched as one of the people, like, like it's not like Jim fought really hard. But when I was pitched as one of the comics, he said, oh, yeah, I saw that guy. He's good, you know. And I got to do one of the spots. And I think... I think there was 27 comedians or something like that. And uh, they said, you, everyone do 10 minutes and we're all gonna, you're all going to be edited down to five or something like that, <laughs> right. right? And so we all went on and did 10 minutes. But I, I didn't do this for any manipulative reasons or anything like that. But I just went on and I did one routine that was 10 minutes long. And then, and then afterwards, they're like, we can't edit that down. I was like, ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and then and then they're like they just put the whole thing on so that that episode had one less comedian on it I don't know who I screwed over that guy. Like, it's so long ago and I, I don't know if that was the case that even right. someone did lose out but, but they put this one but it and worked then, to your benefit though well that that routine did so well that uh, the next day HBO called me in for a meeting and I think within a month I had an HBO special and I remember thinking Oh, that's it then. I've made it now. HBO special. I've always heard of those. I said, everything will be easy after this, you know. And then I got sued by my record label in the UK um, because I I broke the contract. I don't regret it for a second, but um, the amount of money I got paid from HBO was substantially less than the money I was sued by my record label. I had a four, I think three or four deal DVD deal in the UK. And I said, I'm going to do this one in America. And I kept on going, after I do this, I will meet my obligations and do the rest of the ones for you. But we'll sell more because we're going to sell them to America now. And they couldn't wrap their brain around it. They were like, no, no, but you're contracted to us. You're committed, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, like, all right, well, I'm going to go do this HBO thing. You do what you will. (laughs) How how long did it take you to, to get out of that? Um, to get like to get, get clear from that to clear money wise or just oh no they get clear from it no it was very quick that was like mm-hmm. a couple of months after the HBO thing and and then I was I think I, I was maybe 
I had maybe a hundred grand in debt in my life, you know. And I was so I was on HBO. I was I had minus a hundred thousand dollars. I was living in a mate's house in a little six foot by nine foot by six foot room. And uh, I I um I just uh, it was maybe. Maybe four years. Maybe maybe took a, a year or so to pay off all that money. Two years of working, working to, to get back to zero, working the road. And then I did another special, and then you know it all sort of the it it it, it wasn't like I did the HBO special. I started selling out theaters. I was still in clubs. To do the theaters took maybe four years from then. You know, the last five years have been, or the last four years have been theaters and that type of stuff. But HBO. HBO pretty, that pretty was, much printed your ticket to be they, that, in America. That started. In America. The, there was the first touch that made everything the the dominoes mm-hmm. all fall, and and because of that, that helped me get a green card. And now, and then I got it, my American son, and now I, I can. I'm an American, I guess. You know, <laughs> and I, I I look forward to the day of becoming an American citizen. When when legit didn't go past a couple seasons, right? Um, I was devastated. Yeah. I, I remember there was a time when it started showing up on Netflix and people, new people started watching it and you had to explain to them yeah. that there wasn't going to be any new no. legits. Yeah. Our, weather ma- you- our, our weatherman is a big fan of the show and that, of legit. And, okay. that's, and that's how... Uh, <laughs> uh, and he suggested uh, the other day that we should make a movie to wrap all the storylines up because he wants to see how it ends. Well, he is a producer. He does have a... Right, he mo- does have a he does have a production company, right? He's mostly just a meteorologist, as far as I can tell. Right. But he seems. But to he be has connections. Very confident man. Yeah, yeah, he has yeah. connections <laughs> in the business. Yeah. Um, but between that and in the Jim Jeffrey show on Comedy Central, how how did you maneuver that period in your career? Um, well, th- this is the thing that, like, like uh, monetarily, it was the most I had ever earned. You know, doing TV doesn't you know i don't know if people understand but but live work once you get into theater pays substantially better than television television isn't as good a payday as live stand-up comedy and that's why you see a lot of guys like say brian regan or jim gaffigan and stuff like that who appear in the occasional movie and you think why haven't they appeared in more movies because why the fuck would they you know it's it's like unless it's a really cool project it's just not worth you doing bit parts and tv Mm -hmm. and stuff like that and so for me, I was fine. I, I remember a lot of people writing saying, "Oh, this guy's career's over and stuff." But my ticket sales were up. I was I was having a great time, but I was just out of it for a while. And I, the only reason I, I wanted to get back on TV and do another sitcom because I, I was so upset when Legit ended because I felt like it shouldn't have been cancelled. I, I felt like it was a good show and it, it just wasn't given the right push. And it was in my mind, it was cancelled for the wrong reasons. And um, that the head of the network wasn't getting along with one of the creators and there was something going on there that I still don't know to this day quite what happened there. And I was given every other excuse under the sun that it's it's because there was no uptick from episode three to seven or something, you know, like I I don't know. But but, uh, it was reviewed well and the people who who watched it liked it, you know. Um, And there's plenty of new shows about stand-up comedians now yeah everywhere well, well there's, <laughs> a, there's also there's also shows on that same network that didn't do as well that got a third season mm. that didn't rate as well or, right. you know what i mean so um anyway that's is what it is that's over now and everybody in the cast is doing fine and um but then i i i uh 
I sold another script to another network. I don't really want to say what the script was about. But these people bought the script and then we started to go in production and they wanted me to do a sitcom because they love Legit so much. And I was like, why don't you just make season three of Legit? <laughs> like, why are you buying my second best idea? Right? <laughs> but I was like... Right. I was like, you can buy it off them, they'll let you have it. It's like, and so they wanted a new thing and find lightning in a bottle again. And, and uh, then when Comedy Central, I think what happened with Comedy Central is, you know, they were going through shifts with, you know, Larry Wilmore was, was leaving the mm -hmm. network and a few other things. And um, I, I, I knew that they had become, this sounds very cocky, but a fan of mine in some way. And, and when I went in for like a general meeting with them, I said, I, I reckon I, it was, the meeting was as simple as that. I reckon I could do one of those news shows, you know. And, and a, year, a year earlier, I would have said I couldn't do it. But something had happened with the gun control thing. I was thing just going to say, was it the gun? Well, it was the gun control. control thing. And then I did another thing on Conan that went viral. And then I went and did the Trump thing. And I, I just feel like the things that went viral for me seemed to be social issues. I don't think they were necessarily my best routines, but it felt like that's what people wanted to hear from me. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I thought, well, maybe that could be a field that I could go into more full time. I've got a lot of opinions. And <laughs> yeah. this, this is the whole thing I found out also about doing a new show like this. It's not that, you know, you've got to just have conviction of your own, you know, and be un unapologetic. I think. I think part of the the um, uh, in any probably in any field, but uh, part of the way to become successful is to be polarizing. You know, if you, especially in the internet, social media. Yeah, yeah. You, you got to be polarizing. You got to be this guy's shit. This guy's great. This, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think too many people have meh opinions about me, right? <laughs> You know, people are very passionate about me, whether they love me or hate me, and plenty of people fucking hate me. So, and it, it, for years it bothered me. I was like, like you'd read the internet, and I think, what are these? What, what have I done to these people to make them hate me so much? And now I like embrace it. I'm like, fuck yeah, man. Yeah, get on board. <laughs> well, they say if, if people have a passionate opinion of you, that means you're doing something right. Yeah, well, I don't know if it, or doing something wrong in certain. You know, <laughs> Like like people who are passionate opinions about Hitler, it doesn't mean he was doing anything wrong. Right. True. Like people have some very exact opinions. But you're trying part. to solve racism. I'm trying. I'm doing my best. You, you, raised, he, some, you raised some he, solid he ideas. He thought he was trying to fix some things, but like I don't think think he was doing it right either. You know, like so I, uh, I, I look. Oh, I, I, I'm going to give my opinions. Mm -hmm. I'm going to see if people agree with me or see if people want to hear them if they don't want to hear them the society will tell me pretty quick and I'll be out of a job and I'll go back to doing stand-up comedy and and I was perfectly happy doing that before and I have to be perfectly happy to be able to do that again if it so happens you know that you, you know I, I gotta keep on reminding myself that I, I have gone further than I thought I would I never thought I never I never thought I'd do anything more than holiday in America you know, I never thought my life would become this thing that has happened. You have um, an office on a lot. I office on a lot. In, I, in, I, <laughs> I think this is Bill Cosby's office we're in as well. They, they filmed the Cosby show on the same stage. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, I'm assuming because this is the office for that stage. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming this is the biggest office. It's, it's my assumption. Like, I so you think some stuff went down I here? can't say this for a fact, but, <laughs> but this is the biggest room in this building. Mm-hmm. You think this is where Mr. Cosby I held some think, of his auditions? I, I think there was some mentoring 
done in this office <laughs> without a doubt. There was, uh, there's very firm locks on these doors. Well, thank you for not drugging my Red Bull. <laughs> well, it's, it's a slow burner. <laughs> You'll be, you'll be getting sleepy soon. Why do you think I'm keeping you talking? Uh, well, you said next week is cancer? Um, well, yeah, we're going to... I don't know what we're going to fix I next mean, you week. did say that in the, in the premiere. We, really, said, next we, week we really did start off with a story about a fat monkey that we had to burn because terrorist attacks. Well... We wanted to start in with a light little funny piece and then do some serious mm-hmm. stuff about racism and then, you know... And also, the weatherman sketch was something we came up with... Uh, maybe two, like on the weekend because, because of, of the Paris, the Paris Accord. Accord yeah. yeah, and I thought everyone else is going to be speaking about the Paris Accord, and there's no use getting stuck in the weeds because I'll let John Oliver do that on Sunday, where he goes. The actual factual statement of the thing is that it was in sections two point four, whatever. If you want to, you know, look. The basic thing is this: yeah, Nicaragua and Syria are the only people who aren't in it. That stat alone means you probably should be in it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I haven't done a lot yeah. of reading, but I'm going to go, that doesn't sound like a good group <laughs> where you're like, yeah, yeah, they're the ones really, yeah. you know, of course, if everyone's in it, and it's like this whole, the whole world is laughing at us. They were in it as well. How are they all laughing at us? And, and this idea that he had that he thought that you, you had to, they had to have lower admissions than that of China and so it was a load of rubbish. None of it was true. So I, 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 I thought, you know, we can either do a deep dive into that, but we're already doing a whole thing about police shootings and races. And I thought, how about we just do something silly about the environment that still gets the point across? And the point was very simple. Climate change is real. Global warming is happening. Global warming is happening. And, and, and as I said, it's, it's, my show is an opinion piece. I don't know if you can even call the show a news show because... I believe that news should be impartial, where it's just giving you information. I'm not going to be impartial. I'm going to give you my opinion either way. So I don't know if it could be called a news show, but it's 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 my opinion. Well, Jim Jeffries, thanks for sharing your opinions. <laughs> thanks I for really having me, man. Well, let's fucking get into a room together in another seven years' time. Sounds like a plan. Thanks. All right, brother. Thanks. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks first.